Thank you, choir and orchestra. And Jesus saves. Well, today we conclude our series from the Sermon on the Mount. I'm sorry that we weren't able to get all the way through it, but time ran out before the sermon did. So let me summarize today the sermon, and hopefully you will be examining this passage of Scripture on your own in the days ahead. But the sermon is Jesus telling us His expectation of us. What does it mean to be a Christian? In the Beatitudes, He shares with us the character of a Christian. So if you want to know what is expected as far as your character is concerned, it is there in the Beatitudes. He says to us then, as we live out the Beatitudes, we become people of influence. So we are salt, a preservative, in a world that is spiritually corrupt. He said we become light, shining in the spiritually dark world. After that, he says, then we are to live a disciplined Christian life. So Jesus then speaks about our character, what it means to be a Christian. He speaks about our influence, that we become salt and light. And then he says, through the rest of the sermon, that we are to live disciplined lives. He said that we are to pray. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, he says, and when you pray. He doesn't say, if you pray, as a Christian, when you pray. We are to fast. In chapter 6, verses 16 and 17, he said, and when you fast. There are times when we need to set aside time for fasting. He said, we are to give as a spiritual investment. In Matthew 6, 19 and 20, he said, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And then he speaks to us about our relationship to each other. In Matthew 7, 12, however you want people to treat you, so treat them. So Jesus now lays out for us what is expected of a Christian. He says, if you're considering being a Christian, this is what it means. Then he extends an invitation. Now that is common throughout the Bible. In fact, Moses did that. In Deuteronomy 30, uh, 30 verse 19, Moses said, I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. So Moses then says, now there, there is a choice that you have to make. Set before you is life and death, a blessing and a curse. And then Moses said, so choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants. So Moses then said, this is what it is. Now you have to make a decision. Joshua did the same thing in Joshua 24, 15. And if it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, Choose for yourselves today whom you will serve. But there is a choice to be made. That's what Jesus does in our text today. He has shared with us what it means to be a Christian. Not what it means to be a Baptist. Not what it means to be a Catholic. What it means to be a Christian. And then he said, now you have to make a decision. So our text is Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14. 
Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and many are those who enter by it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and few are those who find it. All right, Jesus says to us that there are two paths. There is the way of the world, there is the way of God. We have to choose one of those paths. In the words of that famous baseball philosopher, Yogi Berra, he said, if you don't know where you're going, you might end up somewhere else. You have to make a choice, but you need to know where your choice leads. We have to make decisions in life, but we need to know the result or the consequence of our decision. So Jesus begins then by describing the way of the world, the path of the world. And he says in verse number 13 that the gate is wide. So the entry point is wide. It is easy to enter this gate. Why? Because it actually requires no decision. Ladies and gentlemen, you can be on the path of the world without ever making a decision. Because Jesus said in Matthew 12, 30, He who is not with me is against me. So Jesus then said, If you do not choose to be with me, then automatically you have chosen to be against me. So this is an easy entrance because it requires no choice. It requires no courage. He says, many are those who enter by it. If you decide that you're going to live your life on the world's path, that is an easy decision because it's the way of the crowd. The motto, everyone does it. Everyone does it. No big deal. For instance, we have come to the place that we accept business oftentimes does business that benefits business even if it is unethical because hey everyone does it as they said back home business is business everyone does it we read the statistics the studies that have been done about students cheating in school but it's no big deal because everyone does it, it's acceptable. Requires no courage. I look at our government today and it seems to me that there is little courage in politics. For instance, how long has it been since we have actually in this country passed a budget? Did you know we don't have a budget? We haven't had a budget in years. Can you imagine running your home that way? this church going without a budget? And yet the government hasn't passed a budget in years. They pass a continuing resolution. Now that allows them not to have to make the tough decisions, but it keeps the country in crisis. So every few months there is a crisis in the country because of the possibility of shutting down the government. Why are we about to shut down the government? Because we have no budget. 
So I look at the government and I would say that it seems that Congress has no courage, but I don't see a lot of courage in churches today, largely. I get frustrated sometimes and aggravated sometimes with the church because in our history, the church used to be a leader. We led in morals. We led in music. We led in the arts. The church was the leader. People looked to the church as the leader, but not today. In fact, we respond as does the world with the strategies of the world, hopefully to reach the world. What are we reaching them for? The church is supposed to be different, but I don't see a lot of difference in many churches today. So whenever I look at this, the way of the world, the way that is broad, it requires no decision, it requires no courage, and it requires no sacrifice because the gate is wide. And then he says in verse number 13 that the way is broad. So the gate is wide and the way is broad. So when we are talking about the world as Jesus lays it out here and, and what he is doing, he is saying that you have to make a decision as to which way you're going to go. And he begins by describing the way of the world. If that is the decision that you make, he is describing what that means. And he is saying that the path of the world is a path of tolerance that we tolerate. In fact, I would say one of the highest values of our day is tolerance. We are to be tolerant. Well, that works in some areas, some areas not so much. For instance, if I go to the doctor and the doctor says to me, Wendell, you have cancer. I'm not inclined to be tolerant of that. I would just as soon it be removed. But the world tells us, or what we are told if, 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 as we travel the way of the world, that we are to be tolerant in some areas where we ought not be tolerant. For instance, we are told that we are to be tolerant of all religions, that all religions are good, that we accept them all, which makes no sense to me unless one believes that none of them is true. If I'm supposed to accept all religions as equally good, then... I guess none of them would be true. I, I heard one person say that we are all drinking from the same river. We're just using different straws. There is the straw for the Christian. There is the straw for the Jew. There is the straw for the Muslim. There is the straw for the Buddhist. So forth. we are all drinking from the same river. We are just using different straws. So we're supposed to be tolerant. All religions, good. In morality, we are told that we are to accept things that God has condemned. And as a result, we embrace worldly values. I don't know about you, but sometimes I, I, I look at my life and I wonder if my values, how many of my values actually line up with Scripture and how, much, how many of them actually line up with the world? I'll give you a simple one because we all have some of it. Time is a value, would you not say? Time is about, how do you use your time? Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. So Jesus said that the things of God are to be placed first in your life, first in your time. And yet we spend more time on our phones than we do in prayer. 
We spend more time on Facebook than we do in church. So how are you using your time? See, that's a value, and that, that's what Jesus is saying. We become tolerant of all this, and it is reflected in our values. The broad way is committed to what I want, not what God says. Now, I'm just telling you this because the Lord is saying to us, if you decide that you're going to take the broad way, the, the way of the world, this is the way that it works. If you look at verse number 13 again, he says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is broad that leads where? To destruction. The way of the cross leads home. The way of the world leads to destruction. Those who choose the wide gate do not consider their destiny because they have been deceived, I believe, by Satan. Surely one would not choose the broad way otherwise. The Bible says in Proverbs 14, 12, there is a way which seems right to a man. There is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. There is a way that seems right to a man. It is accepted broadly but the Bible says its end is death. You see, ladies and gentlemen, we make selfish choices today that are fatal tomorrow. I hope you will listen. You have the right to choose to live your life on the world's path, but it leads to hell. That's what the Bible says. Jesus puts it before us and then he says, now you have to make a choice. You have to make a decision. And one can choose the way of the world, the broad way, but you need to understand that it leads to destruction. It leads to hell. The world's path is wide. It is broad, but it leads to destruction. And then standing in contrast to the path of the world is God's path. And he says in verse number 14 that the gate is small. The gate of the world is wide. The gate of God is small. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I grew up on a farm and I learned that a gate has two functions. It keeps out and it lets in. Now Jesus said that his gate is small, but it allows those to come in to the gate who come through Jesus Christ. All right? So we have two gates here. There is the broad gate, the wide gate. That is the way of the world. And then we have the narrow gate over here. That is the way of God. And the Bible says for us to enter through that gate that we only come in Christ. John 10, 9, Jesus said, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Folks, I know it's not popular. I know that it's not politically correct. 
but it is Satan's lie that there are many ways to heaven. That is a lie of Satan. Either that is true and the Bible is in error, or the Bible is true and that is in error. He says the gate is small, and then he says the way is narrow. All right, so the gate, the point of entry is small, and then the path we travel, the Bible says, is narrow. So as I travel this path then, I leave the world. If you decide that I am going to follow after God, I'll give my life to God, then you need to understand that you are going to leave the world. You're going to leave the crowd. You're going to leave the many. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood apart from the crowd. When the golden idol was erected, the, the, the horn sounded and everyone bowed down except for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They did not. They stood apart from the crowd. When the decree went out that no one was to pray except to the king... Daniel turned to God. He stood out from the crowd. Folks, I'm honest with you on this. If you decide that you're going to be a Christian, that you're going to follow God, understand you leave the crowd. You leave the world. Understand also that you leave sin. Now because this speaks of our salvation, he talks about the gate. We are justified at the gate. When we come through the gate, that is speaking of my conversion, my salvation, that I have put my faith in Christ. I trust Him, speaks of my salvation, my conversion. As I walk on the path, it speaks of my sanctification, that I am walking in the ways of God. 1 John 3, 6 says, No one who abides in Him sins. No one who sins has seen Him or knows Him. Well, you might hear that and say, Well, I'm up a creek then, if that's what it is, because I, I do sin. That's not what he's talking about. In the context and the verb tense that he uses there, that means to practice sin as a way of life. It means someone who habitually lives in sin. The truth is, you can't follow the lead of the world and think you're following after God. If you live a life habitually of sin... It is an indication that you don't know the Lord. It is not talking about those sins that we commit, but living a life habitually of sin. So he says the way is narrow and the path is difficult. I had a staff member in the other church that I pastored, the last church that I pastored. He, re he referred to them as electrical Christians. I asked him one time, I said, what's an electrical a Christian? He said, it's one who follows the path of least resistance. The path of God is difficult. It is a life of faith. In chapter 6, verses 25 through 34, he says, we don't fear the world. We live in faith. It is a life of love. In chapter 7, verses 1 through 5, he says, we don't condemn each other. We act in love. It is a life of obedience, though Obedience is difficult. Jesus said when we are insulted, we turn the other cheek. He said when we are abused, we rejoice. 
When we are alone, we continue to stand for God. That is Jesus describing what it means to be a follower of Christ. The path is dangerous. If you look back at chapter 5, verse 10, he said, Blessed are those who have been persecuted. Persecuted. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men cast insults at you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. Ladies and gentlemen, if you attempt to live your life to honor God, you're going to be persecuted. If you commit to live your life to honor the Lord Jesus Christ, you are going to be criticized. Moses stood for the Lord and he was rejected by Egypt. Jeremiah spoke for God and the people tried to kill him. Stephen stood for the Lord and he was stoned to death. And there are more Christian martyrs today than in all of history around the world. There are more Christians dying because of their faith today than ever in history. So, Jesus then tells us what it means if we choose to go the way of the world. And then he tells us what it means if we choose to travel the path of God. And he says the path of God is small. It is narrow. It is difficult. And it is dangerous. And then he says, so choose a path. Isn't that amazing? He puts it out there very honestly. He doesn't sugarcoat it. He doesn't clean it up. He puts it out there. This is what it is. There are two paths. And then he describes what it means. And then says, choose a path. Now his invitation, verse 13, enter at the narrow gate. That that is the invitation that he gives. That is the encouragement that he gives. You see, folks, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, that's the path for you. If you have a hunger in your heart for godliness in your life, if that is the hunger of your heart, that's the path for you. If you're searching for real life, that's the path for you. Because Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and you might have it abundantly then that's the path for you. Well, why in heaven's name would anyone choose a path that is difficult and dangerous? Why would one do that? Well, first of all, because you have to choose. And you're going to choose one or the other. Not to choose is a choice. And Jesus said if you don't choose the narrow path, then you have automatically chosen the other path. So you have to choose. The way of God is a better choice. Now, it is the way of discipline. If you decide that you are going to be a Christian, that you're going to give your life to the, to the Lord, then understand that there is a discipline. It's, it's more than just walking down the aisle, shaking the pastor's hand and filling out a card. It is a disciplined life. Edmund Burke gave a speech in the House of Commons his brother Richard observed, he said, I have been wondering how it has come that Ned has contrived to monopolize all the talents of our family. 
But then again, I remember that when we were at play, he was always at work. It's a way of discipline. It's a better choice because it takes a long look. I would encourage you that as you make decisions in life and as you, especially about your eternity, that you take a long look and say, the path that I'm on, where does it lead? Where, where is it going to end up? Where is it going to take me? I told you, I think last week that when I'm cleaning out uh, all the books and papers and so forth that I have, that I came across a little book and named The, the Noticer. And I said last week that it's a good book. I've enjoyed, I enjoyed reading it. But as I was reading through that book, he said wisdom is the ability to see tomorrow's consequence to today's action. That's wisdom. It is when you are able to see the consequence tomorrow of what I'm doing today. That is wisdom. It is a better choice because it's satisfying. I can say to you, you know, I've come to the stage of life where I am, and uh, I'm very satisfied with life. I'm very satisfied with the life that God has given me. It has been a wonderful life, and I would, I would just, I recommend it. I, I recommend I recommend living your life for the Lord because when you come to the end of it, you will find that it was worth it. It was satisfying that it was what you believed it to be. But choice determines your destiny. There's the broad way, verse 13, enter by the narrow gate. The gate is wide, the way is broad that leads to destruction, and many are those who enter there. The Bible says that the broad way, the way of the world, is crowded. Many are there. It is deceptive, Satan deceives, and it is fatal because the wages of sin is death. And then he talks about the narrow way in verse 14. For the gate is small, the way is narrow, that leads to life. And few are those who find it. It is the way to life now and eternally. I conclude. I want to summarize this text with the story of Lazarus and the rich man, the rich man known in tradition as Dives, they took different paths. Lazarus took the narrow path and Dives took the broad way. They took different paths. They had different destinies. The Bible says that Lazarus went to heaven and Dives went to hell. So they took different paths that led to different destinies, but they came to the same conclusion. The conclusion to which they came is that Lazarus made the better choice. In fact, when I read the story and Dives is in hell and he is pleading with Father Abraham about his brothers who have been left behind. And he says to him, Send Lazarus back to talk to my brothers that they will not come here. The choice I made in life was a bad choice. They took different paths that led to different destinies, 
But they both concluded that the narrow way is the best way. I would simply ask you today, which path are you on? Because you're on one or the other. Which path are you on? Have you come through the narrow gate or the broad gate? Are you in the narrow way or the broad way? Because you're on one or the other. Which one? Our gracious Father, I, I pray today that during this time that we will consider seriously that there is a choice to be made, that there is a consequence to our choices, and Lord, that we would make the choice that is right, that is right because it honors you and it's best for us. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. In just a moment, we're going to stand. The choir will sing a hymn of invitation. If you look at your life and say today that I'm on the wrong path, but I want to know the Lord. I'm willing to give my life to Him. I understand, and I'm willing to give my life to Him. Then I'm going to ask that you come and let one of our staff members pray with you and talk with you. If you're looking for a church home, our doors open. We'd love to have you. Stand with me, please. As we stand, you come. I'll greet you as you do.